I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health and fitness industry to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. Hello, welcome to the Remove the Guesswork podcast. I'm your host, Leanne Spencer, and this is a bonus episode. We're releasing this content because we're promoting an event we have coming up on Tuesday, 3rd of July. So if you're an HR manager, HR director, if you're responsible for well-being, for resilience, for energy and performance levels within your organization or your business, then this show could well be for you and this event could be for you. So we're co-hosting with Pinsent Masons at their city offices near Liverpool Street. And the event will run on Tuesday, 3rd of July from 8am to 9.30am. And there'll be a short piece from Pinsent's on the legal implications of not having a retention policy or strategy and not thinking about well-being. And the bulk of the presentation will be me talking about tangible ways that you can prioritise well-being. Why is it important? Why does it matter? And what are the things that you need to be thinking about? So in this conversation, I'm talking to Stephen Cochran, who's a partner at Pinsent Masons in employment law. And we touched on some of those things that I've just mentioned. We also look at examples of where it's done very well, where it's not done so well, what are the costs to a business. But Stephen takes a really interesting viewpoint because he encourages us not to look at this through the lens of compliance, but to think about it in terms of making yourself an aspirational place to work, looking after your people, building a culture that's all around retention and engagement amongst your team members. So I hope you enjoy the content. A link to the event will be found in the show notes. You can register for free, but we have probably a handful of places left. So you're going to need to move fast if you think that event is going to deliver value to you. So enjoy this episode and I'll talk to you soon. Stephen, I'll ask you to give me a bit of your time. We've got an event coming up which is increasing employee engagement and retention. What part does wellbeing play and why does it matter? And that's going to be held at your London offices on Tuesday, 3rd of July from 8 to 9.30 a.m. Really going out to HR directors, HR managers, anyone who's responsible for resilience, for performance, for wellbeing within their organisation. I just wanted to ask some questions of you from a legal context. I mean, well-being is a word that's used a lot. It's been bandied around a lot at the moment. Some think it's quite a soft term. Some like it. What does it mean in a legal context? Okay, I mean, I think that the first thing that I would say is, you know, a law is obviously important. Um, you know, sometimes things it's quite unhelpful to think about well-being through a sort of legal prism because I think quite often what that leads to is, you know, a kind of compliance-led approach to well-being, mm. you know, which is quite unhelpful, I think. You know, so questions like, what does the law say? What do we need to do? What can we not do? What are the liabilities if we do X, Y, or Z? And, and actually, I think when you think about well-being from that place, it's you know it's, it's almost counterproductive. Mm. You know, the question should be around you know what makes our employees happy. What you know what are the stressors in the workplace, and how do we mitigate those factors, or you know, or, or even eradicate them? And um, so that's the first thing I would say. You know, I guess just to sort of you know kind of set the scene. Yeah. The law obviously is important. Um, it sets a frame, you know, a framework, you know, provides for redress, I guess, if things go wrong. And um, I think in terms of well-being, what does well-being mean from a legal perspective? I mean, I think quite often, um, you know, the jump from well-being to stress at work is is an obvious one. You know, it's almost the opposite of well-being. Mm. Um, and there are, you know, a number of legal protections in that space. From a statutory perspective, we have a whole raft of employment legislation that deals with, um, you know, stress at work and well-being more broadly. Again, from a statutory perspective, we have a whole raft of European and domestic health and safety legislation. And then, of course, we have common law um, obligations, you know, 
common law duties of care and basically to create a safe working environment. You know, and all of those things I think are highly relevant from a you know sort of well-being um, and employee engagement perspective. Mm. Would it be helpful to run through some of those you know key legal? Yes, yeah, that would um, be great. So I mean, I think I guess to run through them. So you know, health and safety at work, I think, is a sort of very important piece of legislation from a well-being perspective. So we have the Health and Safety at Work Act. And um, what that does, you know, I guess in broad terms, you know, creates a legal responsibility for employers to, you know, reduce the risk of stress-related illnesses mm. to the extent possible. And then there are also statutory duties um, to, um, you know, carry out risk assessments in order to mitigate um, stress-related illnesses. As I mentioned, there are a whole raft of employment legislation that I think is relevant in this well-being space. So we have the Equality Act, which um, covers disability discrimination. The definition of disability is very wide. And very often, you know, where there's sort of mental health issues at work, they will be um, classed as a disability in law. So you know, we have direct disability, we have indirect disability, we have failure to make reasonable adjustments. You know, so that's you know, situations where an individual is disabled in law and the employer has an obligation to make you know, reasonable accommodations to help that individual do their job, notwithstanding you know, the condition that they're suffering from. Mm-hmm. We also have um, the working time regulations. Um, again, they're EU-derived, so things like rest breaks, things like how many hours a week you should work, um, rules in relation to night shift workers, etc. obviously you know, relevant from a wellbeing perspective. And then I think also flexible working, which always comes up, um, you know, whenever you have a conversation about well-being. And I think the important thing to say there is that, you know, whereas before flexible working applied really only to parents and carers, a few years ago it was opened up to all employees. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that is always, I find, always part of the conversation when we're talking about well-being at work. Yeah, cool. I mean, what are the legal implications of a company not having a well-being strategy, or put another way, a retention strategy? Because I think well-being, very broad term, but really it's about some of the things you've defined from a legal perspective, but taking care of people so they can bring their best selves to work. Perhaps we've definitely seen a bleed of work into people's personal lives, maybe a bit of a bleed of personal lives into work so there's less separation. But also some of the things you've touched on, working hours, flexible working makes such a big difference to people's well-being, the ability to work from home on occasion, save themselves a commute, all these kind of things. And and, and forward-thinking companies are starting to have a strategy around this, not just to attract new talent, but also to help retain people. I mean, a company wants a certain amount of churn, I suppose, but you also want to hold on to your your key performers. So what are Mm. the legal implications of not having a policy or a strategy around that? I mean, I think, you know, I think the practical implications are obvious. You've just touched on them. I think legally, you know, at the sharp end, you know, it's litigation, you know, it's where these things go wrong. Um, you know, employees will often feel that they have no other option than to seek legal advice, and that often results in claims. Um, you know, so you could be looking at a personal injury claim. You know, there could be damages for psychiatric injury. There could be constructive dismissal claims where employees feel that the, you know, the work environment is, you know, is so toxic, um, you know, that they treat themselves as having been dismissed and bring a claim on that basis. I mm. touched on disability discrimination. Um, you know, disability claims are extremely difficult, um, you know, require quite often lots and lots of medical evidence, it can be very protracted. Litigation in itself is highly stressful for all parties involved, but particularly, I think, for a claimant. And, um, you know, often unrepresented can be very expensive. And, you know, in terms of the exposure for the employer, obviously, there's a franchise risk around, um, you know, the publicity. Employment tribunals are public hearings. Mm. Um, 
But from a financial perspective, you know, unlike, say, for example, an unfair dismissal claim where there's a statutory cap on compensation, there's no ceiling on liability for discrimination claims. Really? So if you have a disability discrimination claim, um, you know, they can be very, very expensive. I think particularly where you have serious psychiatric um, illness, let's say, for example, an individual may be claiming for, you know, career-long losses. You know, they may um, be in a position where, you know, their loss of earnings or loss of pension run through all the way to retirement because their condition is such that they're never going to be able to, you know, work at the same level again or perhaps work at all. Um, really serious stuff, I think. Yeah, indeed. And from your perspective, are you seeing more and more of these cases? I think so. I mean, I think the employment tribunal fees um, have been eradicated now. So, you know, certainly from an access to justice perspective, you know, we're seeing an uptick in all types of claims. Um, I think, you know, we have seen an uptick in discrimination claims more generally, quite often sex discrimination rather than disability discrimination. Mm. But certainly litigation on a whole is definitely, definitely on the rise. I think employees are generally more plugged into, you know, their rights, um, yeah. you know, and the, their employer's obligation from a well-being perspective. And, you know, I think mental health awareness is increasing hugely, you know, even even just over the past two or three years, you know, let alone the past decade. And I think that does create an environment where people are more likely to, you know, be open about, you know, their own sort of personal journeys, but where that goes wrong, more likely, you know, to follow legal avenues in order to, you know, force their employers to do what they ought to do. And yeah. if they won't, you know, yeah. you know, see compensation. Yeah. And I think the environment is changing as well. You know, we're working in some sectors and, and arguably work, people are working harder. They're hyper connected with technology. A lot of people have got dependents, whether it's young children or older, older dependents. And the pressures on people now, I think, have increased. And I think technology does play a huge part in that. So it's important to have a policy in place that helps you to look after people, not just to avoid expensive claims or claims at all, but I think it's the right and the ethical thing to do. And I think in future, companies won't attract new talent with corner offices, with cars, with salary packages. All of that might factor. But I think the thing that will differentiate the next generation coming up is, well, what do you do You know, at the simplest level? Do I have to take holiday to take a child to the doctor or, or an animal to the vet? all the way to what strategies do you put in place to avoid my stress levels become toxic? You know, is there a policy mm. of standing meetings, walking meetings? Am I able to be fairly active in my role? If I need to, can I work remotely? Can I work flexibly? You know, it's not radical stuff. I mean, even possibly having people that are working according to their chronotypes. So if you're a morning person, you can come and do an 8 till 4 shift. And if you're an afternoon person, you do a 10 till 6 or something like that. So even, even that kind of thing, I think we're going to see more and more of. But that brings me to my yeah. last question. Do you have any examples? I'm sure they were made nameless, but that you can discuss of a company that's done, done it very, very well or perhaps not so well and they've made some, some sort of costly errors or oversights? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, just sort of given what I do, I tend to see, I tend to see things that have gone wrong more yeah. often than success stories for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I think... We've probably all heard of, um, you know, suicides at work, you know, and certainly, you know, in my career, you know, I've seen that, you know, two or three times, you know, very, very sad and very unusual. But that's probably, you know, the height of when things have gone really, really badly wrong. I think what we see more often situations where employees are suffering from, you know, stress at work, that's exacerbated quite often by poor management, lack of support lack of empathy, you know, quite often that sort of lack of education around, 
and mental health awareness because of mm. course you know our very large clients tend to be relatively enlightened you know they're quite forward thinking quite often they have um you know champions who are sort of pushing this agenda and that's fantastic but not all employers have that level of investment or that level of awareness and um, mm. you know i think smaller organizations i think are probably a decade behind you know where uk plc is and mm. i think that's where you know, we'll continue to see issues and problems and you know for example i'm dealing with an employment tribunal claim at the moment where the lady has you know she has been off work now for i think nine years since wow. 2008 10 years and yeah. so she's been signed onto a permanent health insurance you know so the insurer is you know essentially paying her salary or a portion of her salary and you know and that's really sad you know the backstory is quite tragic but at least in part i think part of her um you know condition was definitely you know, if not caused, added to by workplace stressors. And I think she's mm. now in a place where it's highly unlikely that she's ever going to come back to the workplace. And um, she's in a very bad place. And, you know, I think that could have been, you know, could have been avoided. Um, yeah. I think in terms of success stories, I think, you know, employers who have excellent retention and, you know, and, you know, their attrition rates, you know, are very positive. You know, that's the best success story I think you can have. But I guess in terms of, thing that sticks out in my mind i have one client who um i think sort of two three years ago again it was an employee who'd been on a phi scheme for a long time so this gentleman had been out of the he'd been out of the the organization for you know it was over 15 years a really really long time and very unusually i mean this doesn't happen very often but the insurer signed him um off as being fit to go back to work now the organization obviously in 15 years had changed fundamentally i mean you know it had gone through various um you know m a transactions you know none of the personnel that were there when this gentleman was due to return were there when he left so he didn't know anybody the organization was completely unrecognizable but they had a very right you know i guess enlightened hr department and they you know essentially you know rather than starting to talk to us about well what do we do with this guy do we make him redundant is there some legal basis in which we can say well you know there's no job for you you know the structure changed so much in the past 15 years what they did was they engaged with them they engaged with him they engaged with his um, gp they spoke to him about what he wanted and you know they essentially created a role for him and um, you know the role that he left you know a decade and a half before obviously didn't exist anymore mm-hmm. and you know and that gentleman has you know has been back in the workplace he's now in his, he's been back there for for the past year or four years and I think that you know that to me sticks out in my head is just a huge success story in terms of employer that's sort of willing you know push the envelope and not take a compliance-led approach I mean I talked about that earlier and you know they didn't look at this issue through the prism of you know what are the liabilities you know yeah. if we get rid of this chat you know they very much you know looked at it as you know this is an individual who worked for us for 20 years for the past 15 years has struggled and he's now you know, he now has an opportunity to reintegrate. How can mm. we make that happen? And I think that can happen very impressive. Yeah, and that kind of thing gets out and people are aware of that and it just boosts, you know, it makes that organisation an aspirational place to work. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, there's Absolutely. some others. Sleep is obviously a very, very big one for well-being. And there's companies like Ben & Jerry's and Zappos in the US who have sleep pods in their offices now. So you can just go, you can catch a nap for 20 minutes and that's you sort of, there's scientific studies that have proved that it revitalizes you, it gets you sharper again, more productive for the afternoon. I mean, that's not that radical an idea, really. It you know? shouldn't be. You know, it seems like it is, but it shouldn't be. Yeah. Well, yeah. we're going to talk about all of this stuff and a lot more in the event that's coming up. So if you're watching or listening, 
Stephen, I don't think you'll be there, will you? But somebody from Pints at Masons will be. And obviously That's you're hosting great, yeah. events. So it's Tuesday, 3rd of July, 8am to 9.30, increasing employee engagement and retention. What part does wellbeing play and why does it matter? Well, we'll talk about some of the stuff that Stephen and I have touched on, but also the bulk of the, the session will be about wellbeing, performance, resilience, and how you can increase that, drive more energy through your organisation. So tickets are available on, on Eventbrite, which I'll link to on the audio and the visual of this video. Stephen, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Is there anything else you want no to add before we sign off? I don't think so. I mean, one thing I just want to touch on really briefly was technology. I know you touched on that earlier yeah. and hopefully it'll be covered off in the session, but I think that's a really interesting one. And I think quite a lot of our clients really struggle with you know trying to bespoke their approach to well-being in the workplace because there are some employees who find you know BlackBerry, iPhone, remote working, you know, having access to the system, being able to work from home, they find that really empowering. You know, it allows them to you know sort of blend their work life with their personal life in a way that really helps them and you know sort of keep their plates spinning so to speak there are other employees who find it you know invasive and intrusive and actually quite stressful mm. you know they, they don't want to work from home they like that compartmentalization they like to have their office and they like to have their home life and they like to leave their personal issues at the office door or you know at the factory floor you know wherever they work they don't particularly want to be checking their emails on a sunday afternoon when they're at a children's party Actually, that can be, I think that can be really, really difficult for employers because I think there's sometimes an assumption that flexible working, agile working, remote access, et cetera, et cetera, is a great thing. And that, you know, it unlocks potential and it empowers people. And, you know, my personal view is that's absolutely the case. But there are certainly dozens, hundreds, thousands of employees who feel very differently. And, you know, and they actually find this whole move and, you know, this sort of technological advancement that is really merging, you know, the sort of workplace, you know, with sort of family life, you know, highly intrusive and stressful. Mm. And certainly that's something that a lot of my clients are really, you know, struggling to, you know, to try and find an approach that, you know, that works for everybody. Yeah, I completely agree. I and mean, let's not forget, we're having this discussion about well-being using technology. Um, <laughs> yeah. I meditate to an app. Of course, there's other ways you can meditate. It doesn't need an app. But yet the mobile phone devices, you know, can cause a lot of problems. You know, we're, mm. we're, a lot of us use our email as an inbox. We have this binging and dinging and whirring every two minutes and distracting us. So, yeah, we will talk about technology at the event. And I forgot to mention that tickets are free to register for, but we are nearly at capacity. We've got something like five or six tickets left. So we will soon be sold out and full up. So anyway, I'm going to sign off. I'm aware that we're on our, our time limit. We're a little bit over. Stephen, thank you very much. No problem. Thanks, Leanne. Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? Jump on our website, bodyshopperformance.com and click on Take the Test. And it'll take you through to a very short two to three minute health IQ test. At the end of that, you'll get a scorecard based on your results and a free 39 page report built all around our six signals, which are sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. So jump on the website, bodyshopperformance.com and take our test. Finally, thanks for listening to this show. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard and it's added value to you, share the episode with someone you think could benefit from it. And don't forget to leave a rating, a review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.